Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Punching Out. My name is Noah. This week, we wanted to talk about the effects of, well, basically what education has been like in the last few months ever since we went on lockdown. Uh, obviously, this has been a big change. I imagine for a lot of you uh, listening, your students, parents, might even be educators, and you might have uh, you might have some some interesting ideas as to what's uh, what's been the result of having to go to a distance learning model. This week, I'm very lucky to be joined by a panel of other teachers who are going to help us sort of untangle uh, this whole mess that we're in. So I'm going to introduce them one by one, and then they'll get to share their perspectives on what's been going on. So let me start with this week. I'm joined by Brian. Hi, everybody. Jake. Hello. And first time guest, Arthur. Hey, good morning. Now, if uh, what I'm going to just ask you all to do is if you could share a little bit of your experience of teaching. Uh, you don't have to tell us a lot of specific information for obvious reasons, but um, just kind of talk about what, what's your life been uh, lockdown. And since uh, Arthur, since I just saw your mic is active, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Okay, so uh, we uh, started distance learning around the end of March. Um, and my background is uh, I'm a fifth grade English language support for math. There's also an English language support for reading, writing. Um, so basically, I'm a support instructor for fifth grade math. Uh, and for distance learning, we had classes starting at 8 o'clock uh, and 9 o'clock for one side of uh, fifth grade, and then 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock for the other side of 10th grade, because there's uh, two fifth grade math teachers, two fifth grade reading, writing teachers. Um, so when we conducted distance learning, we had live, we had live sessions. And I also had a small group session with the newcomers who had recently arrived from uh, different countries like El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Yeah, is that good enough of an introduction? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm particularly um, particularly interesting to me because I'm not going to talk about my part of this because people who listen to Punching Out will have heard it all before. But, um, uh, you know, we don't my population of students, we don't deal with a lot of international students. Um, so that that is especially interesting to me that you've got uh, sort of that in the mix, for sure. Um, why don't we go next to Jake? Um, yeah, so really my um, sort of long distance learning experience um, is at first off, you know, nobody knew what to do because there was no training or anything because, you know, we had to all of a sudden in, you know, March 13th, we got the, the order that we were going to be out of school for two weeks. And then as that went on, it, it kind of became more apparent that we probably weren't coming back for the rest of the year. 
Um, and I think our county um, handled it uh, well in, in certain respects. Um, what we did, what they decided to do, and, and I agreed with this decision, is that, you know, teachers were going to be accountable for giving students work, but it was to be ungraded, which I thought was the best solution to that. So we had to sort of come up with these assignments that could that could be sort of turned in. Um, we they came up with a grading policy um, that kind of uh, helped uh, that benefit that sort of gave kids the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I'm a high school teacher, by the way. I didn't give much introduction to what I teach. I'm a high school teacher in the uh, near Richmond, Virginia, and we. Um, with seniors, they were given, you know, they were, uh, the admin were very kind of, uh, and the school board and, and the sort of people in charge of the high schools were very kind of uh, aware of, of how many uh, kids were failing in for each teacher. And sort of the unwritten rule, which our, our admin later said explicitly is pretty much do not fail kids, which I thought should probably the fairest way to go about that. So we were kind of getting kids to do makeup work, to sort of push them over the finish line, pretty much anything. If they had like a 50 and above, you needed to just make the math work, which I thought was was good, you know, because they weren't going to get that opportunity for the fourth nine weeks. Um, and really the distance learning as far as teacher uh expectations they wanted us to give the kids work not grade the work not make the work um things that affected their grade in any way but um we just kind of delivered it and it was up to some teachers did more than others um with my particular kids i didn't really they were not asking me for like conferences or anything but some of the AP and dual teachers were conferencing weekly with their kids. So really, we it, it just kind of varied for every teacher. And I was kind of in communication with two or three students. They were all that I had that really were, were out there. But it was kind of a mess, but we kind of muddled our way through it. I think if we would have held the kids accountable for that work and expected them to kind of sit there and go to school while at home, it would have been a disaster. And luckily, my district didn't really expect them to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. If we had explicitly taken that approach, uh, that probably would have gone a lot better. We didn't. A lot of what my school decides to do is completely by unwritten rule and uh, sort of have the counselors uh, make policy, essentially on the back end and we'll get more into that later but the long and short of it is that we were expected to give great at work and we were expected to hold kids accountable for for not doing it but at the same time there was from the get-go an understanding that that accountability would only stretch so far and with the population of students that we have i mean that was 
uh, a minor disaster in and of itself. Um, and while I'm at it, you mentioned seniors in particular. Uh, teacher that I wanted to get for this but couldn't be here mentioned that he had something like a third of his kids were failing and he was expected to hold them accountable for grades. So he'd spent the last two weeks just begging them to just start doing literally any work. <laughs> uh, so so we're certainly going to have to get into uh, what you know, that 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 side of it, like how different policies have affected what we've been doing in the classroom. Anyway, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with this? Sure. Assignment. So I teach middle school in the Bronx. I have fifth, sixth, seventh graders, math and ELA. We moved to distance learning in mid-March, just uh, maybe a week or so before the New York City public schools did. I teach in a private Catholic school. Um, we had a direction to start right away with distance learning. So I think our kids were off on a Friday anyway. So the teachers all came in for a meeting and then like the month, the next Monday when they would have been back in school, we were right at it. And we didn't really have any direction at all other than get them working right away. So no one knew, should they be on, I don't know, Google Classroom? Should they be doing Zoom meetings, synchronous, asynchronous? We got very little direction about everything at first. And even kind of now we're over two months into it, very, very broad and vague, vague directions on everything. So that's been kind of tough for all the teachers. But um, the way I've been working is uh, I kind of got them onto Google Classrooms right away. And with my seventh and eighth graders in particular, I've kind of got them going on a syllabus plan, like if they were in a college online course. So I laid everything out for them, uh, attached video lessons, this and that. And they've been, just been working asynchronously. I've been kind of worried about whether or not uh, they have devices to share with their siblings and all of that. So I don't want to have like timestamps on things and just taking a lot of flexibility with us. Yeah, that that's probably the closest out of everybody's to um, how we did it. In our case, the we finished off the week and then uh, we closed over the weekend. The county did. So we came back on Monday for a meeting and training sessions and then had kind of a week to start getting up to speed. Um, and that that was certainly interesting. I will say that we had the advantage that we already had a learning management system in place, and that was a big help because there was already a place where, you know, your classroom is, your grades are, your assignments are. It was a centralized location. Um but I, I certainly share your pain when it comes to kind of vague directions and so on. The only thing that we have been that has been emphasized with us is uh, that we absolutely have to use Zoom. That that's the one thing that our administration will not stop pushing on us. And given everything else that we've been finding out about Zoom in the meantime, it's kind of scary how much they love it. But that that's something that I know we're going to get into. So I think what I would what I would want to do here is based on these experiences that we just talked about, we're all classroom educators. We've all been in there with the students. What changes did this uh, result in? How does this change the teacher student relationship? How does it change learning? That kind of thing. Brian, go right ahead. Sure. Thank you. So um I guess I'll start with this. Like it's, if I start from a personal standpoint, I, you can tell like every teacher has kind of got their own skill set, you know, what they're good at within the classroom. And I think what I 
usually am better at is a kind of like interpersonal stuff. And that's also what I enjoy most about teaching. And that was obviously taken away like almost completely. Um, we were also mandated to work on Zoom like you were, but that didn't come until that's more recently, like in the last two weeks. And we only have, I don't know, my eighth graders have only a week and a half left of school. So it's kind of almost been pointless at that point. And I was sort of afraid to just like take it upon myself, even though we were allowed to use it without it being mandated. I was afraid right. of, uh, you know, what if something came up? There's no policies. I don't want something coming down on me if any of the parents had issues with it or anything. And, um, you know, now without a lot of personal contact, you know, I've been chatting with them on Google. We're emailing a lot, but you're really missing a lot of the day to day stuff that. I think one is Arthur, the nice it. part of teaching and two is like what the kids, you know, really makes their days better. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Definitely a lot of the like interpersonal, the kind of um, here or there moments that you get just by being around the kids and being able to see like, oh, you brought, uh, you have a new backpack today or, uh, you know, you got a haircut because a lot of times on live sessions, the kids won't show their video. So um, or are you feeling sleepy today? You know, how are you doing? Uh, I think that's definitely lost. I wanted to add that I think, uh, now more than ever, the, like the relationship between teachers and parents is paramount. Uh, you have to be an extremely co cohesive team because it really seems like the parent has to be like aware of what their child is doing on the live session. Cause otherwise, you know, we had a lot of kids who were just playing games when they were supposed to be online sessions with us or like when they were supposed to be completing assignments. So if the parent is not actively watching uh, their student or not actively helping or not showing uh, support for what this, the, the learner is doing, you know, it just makes it harder and harder. I'm, I'm going to go to Jake in a second, but I just really quickly wanted to say, yeah, we got to communicate about um, the the Zoom meetings that were happening and how there were like Zoom bombings, quote unquote, and all that sort of thing happening. And you could, by the way that it was phrased, you could tell that it was basically talking about our students doing it because it was all phrased in the passive voice, uh, the the kind of educational equivalent of the officer involved shooting kind of thing. Um and it eventually got to the point where they alerted the police department. And I was like, oh, this one must have been somebody from outside if they're actually going to call the cops in. Uh, anyway, Jake, go right ahead. Um, well, you know, I was just going to add about the um, what, it, what is the buzzword we're supposed to call them now? Learning management centers or websites systems. or whatever. Systems. Yeah, mm -hmm. systems. And we... Um, we, uh, you know, our district was sort of wisely onto Zoom and sort of said, eh, probably don't use Zoom um, because of the security issues. And they're very worried about parents and very worried about that's always their prime concern about everything. Um, and I think it was Brian that was talking about using Google Classroom. Well, what my district is doing, and they're going to start this uh, probably uh, in a week or so, they're actually blocking Google Classroom Ooh. during an uh, online yeah, learning thing. And the reason is, is because a couple of years ago, um, 
the uh, guy who was the superintendent um, of our district, he was superintendent for like three years. And this is a guy who um, he'd been a band teacher for like four or five years, became a dean, became an admin, then became like a small county uh, super and just like moved up the ladder. And now he's the state uh, um, I am. I am very familiar with this Virginia. archetype of administrator. Yeah. So this is the kind, and, and like it has been, um, allegedly I have heard allegedly that, um, all of our technology integrators, um, well, he made a deal with canvas. I don't know if y'all are familiar with canvas. Yeah. He made a deal with canvas and allegedly I have heard that the technology integrators for our district told him that canvas wasn't compatible with everything else we were doing with the students. And they went ahead and made the deal with canvas. So what happened is this school year that just ended, we were supposed to use just canvas, but if you were still using Google classroom and you'd set that up, you could still use it. But next school year, starting in June, they're going to just straight up block Google Classroom to keep teachers from using it. So, so that is where they're, they're still kind of look, that's still their concern. And the thing is, is like the Canvas meetings, as of maybe they've got them to work. I never messed with them. But as of uh, March, when this was first starting and we were moving, into the distance learning thing, the Canvas meeting system wasn't working. Um, Google Hangouts would work, but the Canvas system wasn't working, and they're still going ahead with that. So I think that, you know, these central office people, they're still going to be central. They're still going to, central office people still go to central office. <laughs> if I could use that I as was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Arthur, Brian, does that, like, does that sound like administrators to you? I think it sounds like administrators anywhere, not just even in schools. I think schools tend to have, you know, um, since we're uh, so like uh, pyramid shaped as far as like administration, we tend to have these little like strange fiefdoms where you get people like that. But you get administration like that, I guess, in any job, huh? I, I happen to not be the only one working from home in my house. And while that can be true, I will say that I think it's a little bit more um, noxious when it's in an educational institution because it's one thing to have a job in like sales or whatever where you're getting management BS beamed at you. But when you're getting management BS beamed at you and you're told that you have to believe it for the kids, that, oh, me, yeah. that makes me sick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, there. And I don't know, I mean, how business works is you have to kind of, you know, and I've never, this is the only real job I've ever had. So I don't know how it works, you know, really. But it seems like in business, you have to actually produce results to get somewhere. In education, you can just say you've produced results. And if you play it well, you can just keep moving up and up and up. And I guess that's any kind of public service kind of kind of situation 
but that's the thing. And I will say, like, when, you know, when I say, you know, administrators, that's one thing. But most of our, but to, like, my interpretation of at least in my district is that building administrators, like deans, principals, uh, assistant principals, central office, at least in my district, I don't think they've got much respect for those people either to be honest. Like, I just don't think they, I think that they think everybody who still works in a school building is just a big sucker. I think anybody who actually works with kids, they just think is a big chump. And maybe they're right, honestly, at this point. (laughs) Yeah. um, No, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's hard to get, I, I mean, I've only ever worked in this one building, so I think sometimes it is hard to get that sense of perspective, for sure. Um, I tell you what, I want you to hold it, this stuff that we've been talking about, about who actually is being advantaged by this kind of uh, the, the change in distance learning and, and this move to it. I want you to hold that in your head, because when we come back, we're going to talk about who's benefiting from it who they tell you is benefiting from it and whether that's true or not. Spoiler, it's not. We'll be right back. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. This is Noah, and I'm joined by Jake. Hello. Brian. Hi, everybody. And Arthur. Hey, how's it going? And I forgot to mention this in the uh, previous segment, but you might remember if you're an assiduous listener, there's your $5 word. Jake and Brian were my co-hosts for Lessons in Organizing when they talked about sort of what actions teachers around the country had been taking in their districts and buildings and so on. Uh, And you might want to go back and listen to that one because I think that was a particularly good episode. But anyway, on to more current events. We're talking here about distance learning, what we've all had to do since lockdown. We're all teachers in the room, so to speak. And we ended the last segment by kind of talking about who has been taking advantage of this to maybe push their agenda and to kind of try to remake education in the image that they feel is best. And I think what we would like to talk about in this segment is, yeah, who is actually benefiting from this? Because I think we all agree that it's not the students, and I think we all agree that it's not the teachers. So who is actually coming out on top here? Um, Well, I would say that I think that it's two people that are coming out, or two groups that are coming out on top. One are the people who actually charge the school districts for these learning management systems. I think they're coming at them because now they, they have a much easier way to sell this stuff to the districts. And the other people that are coming out on top are those within the schools themselves and outside of the schools. People like Bill Gates, things like that, who have long wanted to uh, corporatize public education. You to, mean savior of New York State education, Bill Gates? Yeah, exactly. Bill Gates, that they're basically letting um, remake 
uh, education in his own image in New York. You know, the sort of disaster capitalists. This is what they've been waiting for because they've long wanted an excuse to take teaching online to make so you can hire less teachers. You can hire, uh, you don't have to pay as much in, you know, the tax, uh, the tax base, the taxes that you collect for teachers don't have to be as much now or for schools in general, because the more you get online, the cheaper it costs to run the school. So this is kind of providing a lot of opportunities for people who have had that goal, which, you know, and sorry to say, there's a lot of people within the schools and on school boards who have that goal. You know, like they say in like uh, Scream or, you know, when a stranger calls or whatever, like the call is coming from inside the house in a lot of them. Like there is a movement within schools themselves to move it online. Yeah, I I definitely know what you mean. It's And to me, the sad part as a teacher is that if you bring this up, this might be different depending on your building. You can all tell me you're, you're wrong. And if anything, you will make me more optimistic for the future. But when I bring this up to coworkers of mine, uh, you know, you get accused of getting political or you get told a lot of times that you're being conspiratorial. And I come from a place where a lot of what were conspiracies are now accepted historical fact. So for me, when I say like, I think this person is pushing a, a certain, uh, in, in our case, it's not privatization, we're already private, but basically they, they want to sell the school or as much of it as they can to Apple, or they want to turn us into an online school and save themselves some salary money or whatever. You get met with this incredulity that I think is completely unwarranted based on everything we're seeing in education. Like it, it seems that's where the money goes. That's why all the friends that I have who are doing well in education now are all in ed tech. You know, it, it's not a coincidence. Yeah, you don't have, uh, there's a lot of money going around, but it's not like it's flowing in the proper directions or to the right people or to the kids or to the teachers or anyone that needs it. Whenever there's like a, a yeah. you know, a big windfall. Like if you look at um, everything that went on in, um, I think it was Newark, New Jersey with the money that Zuckerberg left for them and things like that. Um, even Netflix is uh, trying to get in on this. Like our summer school is, has something to do with um, Netflix. I think they're making their own instructional videos. And then, what? Yeah. What? That's crazy. Have, <laughs> You're going to binge watch your class now? Uh, pretty much. I mean, they, they tried to like push the flip classroom model where the, like the videos come first and then the teachers are just kind of like bullies i guess making students do their work they want us to uh to prison guard i guess like that kind of a thing right the kids are stuck in their seat have to observe and everyone just snaps their fingers in their ear if their eyes closed their <laughs> term is moderator, moderator. I, full disclosure <laughs> i applied for a job with a company that kind of does this kind of work because this year in my building has been pretty bad and I remember this was the model that they were pushing. And I mean, I didn't get the job. And in retrospect, this happened before the distance learning thing. I'm almost glad that I didn't, even though that would probably be a, a more stable career right now. Just because it was, it, it was the kind of thing where it was like, you're pushing this model that basically allows you to have one teacher 
for every subject and and you know everybody else is just a proctor it's i i can't believe that we're turning pieces of education over to netflix that 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 one's gonna hurt (laughs) it's gonna sit there for a while yeah but that's people have been pushing for that for a decade things of that nature and this is just their this is their opening this is their opening goal to do that and luckily like my building you know i've got a lot of old timers there and i've got you know and the the old people are just skeptical of all this technology stuff and the new people are kind of skeptical of kind of the corporate influence mm-hmm. of it so both sides of it of teaching the young teachers the older veteran teachers are fairly skeptical of this. Young teachers are a little more open to it because when they're in when they're in education courses at college, depending on who their professor is, they're going to get pushed this way because this is a whole kind of system to corporatize education. Because it's like, you know, when you think about how much public schools cost, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that want a cut of that money that want some of that. Cause it's a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big load of cash and Netflix now, like, like, um, Arthur was saying, um, the, uh, canvas Google, they all want their cut of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one of the themes that I think the lockdown has kind of shown to everybody is that if you're the tech industry right now, and and this is something that we've been saying on Punching Out for months, if not years, but the tech industry likes to portray itself as this individualist, libertarian kind of uh, place and, and environment. And the reality is that almost none of it would have been possible without massive subsidies from the government, from grants, from public institutions or semi-public institutions. And now they've turned around and they've decided to start using local and state and federal government as just a piggy bank that they can raid whenever they want. And and that was already the case with a bunch of other sectors, but now tech is getting into it and they have found the right language to do it. As a language teacher, you know, the, the thing that we're fighting against is everybody's like, well, in a world that has Google Translate and Duolingo, why would you ever, ever need a language teacher. And it's like, well, because those things only help you, you know, and in my case, I teach a language that's not easily translatable or easily doable through those things. So you, you have these, these moments where it's like, why is this even a thing that I have to defend now? Right. I mean, everybody has a calculator, but they still have to learn math. Well, I'll tell you, um, are any, I'm sorry, I can't remember. Are any of you um, math teachers? Yes. I am, yes. <laughs> okay. Because, like, one thing that I've, like, what I've seen with my kids and, you know, because I have uh, everybody in my district, we get a study hall. And I've noticed mm-hmm. with my study hall kids, like, you know, we've always had calculators. You know, they, they're, you know, the internet, so ever since I was a student, there's been on the internet to get math. But now these kids can find PDFs of all of their work where you can actually have, it has the work shown out there 
and they can just copy pictures, send it to one another. So I'm. So it seems to me that all of these things, it's like we we still haven't figured out a way to kind of work with the technology where the kids are not just using it to cheat, but they're actually learning with it. Yeah, that is a rampant. That was a rampant problem in my school beforehand. And it was definitely not helped, as with most things in my building, uh, by administrators whose response to being told, like, hey, 50% of my English class is blatantly plagiarizing or whatever, was to send the entire faculty an email on how nine out of 10 times it's not, quote unquote, actually plagiarism. It's, you know, being sloppy or this or that. And it's like the teachers already knew that. Uh, They're aware. They have taught more minutes than you have. They have taught more students than you have. They have taught more classes than you have. This is insulting to our intelligence as professionals. Yeah, they, whenever you move up a step in education, you just automatically think the step below you is just completely stupid. Like you just, they just have such a low opinion of everybody's function. And what it sounds like, and Noah, you, do you teach at a private school? I do teach at a private school. Okay. Well, so you've probably, so my guess is, is that that email about like, oh, maybe it's not cheating. That's just to like, so parents won't get mad at teachers for calling out cheating. Is that? Yeah. No, that's a hundred percent accurate. No, I mean, I had a student, uh, I was like, she wasn't doing any work in class cause we were actually writing. And this is when I used to work university, uh, language university. She wasn't really writing in class, even though we had all these, like, uh, we were doing it piece by piece in class. And then suddenly she shows up with this, like, a million dollar essay. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And also, it's like really weirdly, like, she's got quotes that don't really match her source. Like, the source is about theory, (laughs) things like that. And I finally just, you know, hit the file button and there's a totally different author and I tracked the author to LinkedIn and it's, oh, this student has paid a technical writer to uh, oh, write wow. her yeah, introduction to IT paper for her. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I brought it up to administration and, they're, and they're, they just didn't want to touch it. Yep. Like to them, they're probably best like served by just saying, well, they, you know, they're getting an A in the class. That's good for everybody, isn't it? Like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. We move the factory along and uh, it just produces more and more. The, the way my, and, and I actually kind of appreciated this. We talked to our vice principal right before we went on hiatus and his view of it was literally integrity is gone. Like you have no way to stop them from doing this stuff. So you have to remake, if you're going to give them greater work, the assessment, whatever it is, it has to be done in such a way that they're going to have to study the material to do well on it. And I mean, some of my kids still didn't. And it was pretty funny because they finally have the assignment that they had to be creative for that required them to already know the background. And because they copied off each other, they were suddenly like, well, I don't really understand this concept. And I'm like, well, let's see, there's three quizzes on it and you did perfectly on all of them so <laughs> you should know the material but i mean if you have any questions here's where i am and blah, blah blah and here's like all of the other content so it did kind of help in a way because you could be very polite and very nice uh in a very bless your heart kind of way hmm. um right. and sort of show like 
I know what's going on. But I wanted to go back to something, Jake, you said this, I think. Uh, you brought up that the whole thing behind plagiarism or whatever, in in my case, was certainly about assuaging the feelings of parents. And I think it's important to get into so we don't just turn this into a teacher whining hour, um, which is everybody's favorite thing to listen to. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, welcome back to whining out. But um, <laughs> it would be these people, the the Silicon Valley types and the Bill Gateses and the the, administra- the the central office people of the world, they're getting the money and the wherewithal and the political capital to do this by telling us that, and I think this is super important, that parents and students are benefiting from those interventions. Yeah. Right? right? Like the, it, it wouldn't work if they couldn't point to some kind of quote unquote 72 point air code success. And I guess in my experience, uh, like we had a, a number of like online platforms that were sold to the school, such as uh, iReady and um, Myon and all these sorts of things. And kids didn't use them. I mean, there were, we, when we were there, or sorry, when the students were there at school, we could consistently say, okay, go on, since we finished the lesson, or since you're, you know, uh, at a ability level higher than the lesson we're currently teaching, go on, I ready and use this program. And then they, these programs would have the data to say that, oh, we're actually giving benefit. But in the, the current age, in terms of like, uh, K-12, public education, the ability to show return on investment is lower if you don't have the teacher support, I think. Because someone's someone's got to sit there and show them how to use the program and to make sure that they take the, like our park test, our end of the year test is four days, an hour a day, and there's actually two subjects. There's a math uh, test that takes a whole week and an English language, or sorry, an ELA test that takes a whole week. So if you're trying to show that your students have been using your program for a year and have progressed uh, one or two grade levels, if you don't have that like school structure. Yeah, the the longitudinal data for sure. Yeah, those aren't independent programs necessarily. I mean, they can be used that way, but not until, you know, without support in some direction. They have to be taught the base lessons. They have to be shown how to use the program, all of that. Yeah, because like iReady has these cute cartoons that kind of like bring, uh, like one of them is like a safe cracker. So you got to know what the thousands place is versus the hundreds place and tens place. And, you know, it's kind of fun, but there are going to be misunderstandings that the teacher is going to see and be able to uh, pinpoint and support that that a computer program is going to miss. Yeah, and I, I think it's vitally important too to mention this. Have any of you gotten the quote unquote digital natives canard from from tech people and admins and whatnot? Oh yeah, like that. That's the thing. But they don't they don't under they don't understand what kind of computers and what kind of online spaces these kids have grown up in. Oh yes. Like they don't like these are kids that do everything online. Their entertainment's online. Their social lives are online. But they don't know how to do shit on the real computer. Like, they really don't. Like, they, if it's not like a, a button shaped like what they want, they don't know. 
and they've just they've never they've and also they just don't if they don't know how to do something they're not very curious about learning how to use it i mean are we talking about like independent learning because that's a lot of self-regulation in a tour for like a an elementary school student like that to sit down in front of a computer watch style Khan on Khan Academy to teach a concept, take notes on a concept, maybe go down into the chat to ask questions that you may have. Like that's a college level emotional maturity that um, they won't have. I, for me, my problem is purely the technical side of things. The emotional side of things I get on some level, but for me, the fact is that they just technically can't do it. I mean, I find the digital natives thing kind of problematic for other reasons, but the thing that bothers me about it and, and the thing that really puts paid to the, um, uh, the thing that really puts paid to the, the notion of these, um, of the idea that these kids just automatically know how to do all this stuff to me is that, um, you know, I have to stand over their shoulder and literally show them how to do everything by rote. Because if you're grown up with it, you don't know how to fix the problems. Like I, I tell my kids, I broke three computers before I was 10. So that meant I had a pretty good idea about how to put something back together. And when you had to call, you know, an expert to go do the work and whatever. And I figured all this out the best way I could, which was by brute forcing my way into it. Now they didn't have that experience. They're not being taught how to use computers. Well, they're only being taught like the outward skills. And then you've got these Zuckerbergs and Gateses and uh, whatever's of the world telling you that, yes, the kids absolutely know how to do all this stuff. And like you said, Jake, no, they don't. They a hundred percent don't. If they, if, if you tell them like, have you tried, if you tell half my kids, have you tried logging into this in the browser versus uh, the app? They don't know mm-hmm. what you mean, let alone are able to do it without you standing there showing them. I shouldn't, the number of times that I've had to click and, and take a kid through screen by screen that I, according to my bosses, shouldn't have to is too darn high. Mm. Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah they've, they've grown up in a, post smartphone world Mm -hmm. you know they're used to using programs that like if you want to chat with somebody you hit the button it looks like a a speech balloon and if it goes much more complicated than that they're a little bit lost and because they and because they've grown up and it's not because they're dumb or anything it's because they've just Just they've grown up with technology that is easy to use mm-hmm. and a lot of these things like you know canvas for example looks like it's from 2003 oh. yeah <laughs> yeah and I, I was i had to use that stuff as a student so that that is dire uh brian what do you got i was gonna I, yeah i think that's exactly what it is that like we use that as students and you know how there's that thing that like um I, it comes up a lot like online but anyone of say, I don't know, 50 or 60 years old plus. So like a lot of administrators thinks of everybody younger than them as a millennial, Mm -hmm. like all the way down to like 14 years old. So they've like clustered everybody together as having the same technological experiences as someone that, you know, 
like us, like we're teachers now, we're not students. We're, we're a generation well past what we were doing in high school and college. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. And I think it's important to remember when you hear all this talk of how miraculously technology can help that, I mean, these experiences, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you're a student, these should show you that it's absolutely not the case, that uh, tech by itself can't do anything to fix educational problems, not without a person, uh, be it virtually or not, in the room to help you guide through uh, those issues. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're kind of hoping people take away from this, because if they don't, uh, things are going to go even more wrong in even more schools than they currently are. See you then. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Noah, and I'm joined by Arthur. Hi. Brian. Hey, everyone. And Jake. Hello. And and over the past two segments, we've been talking about the vagaries and uh, the possible tragedies of the distance learning model that we've all had to endure during lockdown and how tough it's been for students, for teachers, for parents, basically for everybody except for the worst people on the planet. But what we'd like to do now is instead of continuing to indulge our uh, what one of my bosses would call the locusts of negativity, uh, we would like to instead, you know, it's it's the last weeks of school for a lot of us. Summer is coming. We're, we're going to actually have our, our vacations uh, soon. And I just want to take this segment to, as we always try to do on Punching Out, and on a positive note, what if if this is a tough present that we are living in right now, that we can't reach our students like we used to, that they're having a tough time, that their parents are having a tough time, uh, that at some point we are going to have to, you know, fight the, the Gateses and the Zuckerbergs of the world. What gives you hope for the future in the face of all that from what we're seeing? What makes you think that, hey, maybe things will be all right? I've had a pretty good turnaround with um, my interaction with a lot of parents, actually, you know, every teacher has like particular people that are maybe uh, hard to deal with, but I've had almost 100% positive interactions when I've had to deal with parents. And I get I don't know if it's just the realization of how tough it is to teach or that they've just become like, the kids have always been dependent on us, but now like the parents are even more so because they need to email constantly and ask a lot of questions about material and all of that. But I've had a lot of uh, even just like out of the blue emails like, oh, thank you for everything this year and like stuff like that, which I don't normally get. Well, that, that's definitely good to hear. Yeah. Um, in terms of the elementary school level, I think that we have like in terms of the live conferences we've seen, there were some students who kind of came out of their shell and like in class they were kind of quiet and they were not as interested. But when they were away from the classroom and away from peers, like sometimes they might be acting out to get attention from, from peers. Like a couple of our students seemed more focused uh, on what they were supposed to be learning 
I also noticed that with some of my own kids, I, I haven't gotten any out of the blue messages from parents. I have gotten some very nice replies to things that I've sent. And like Brian, like you said, I've mostly had very positive interactions with them. Mm-hmm. But occasionally I have gotten some emails from students that aren't big talkers. I've got a real quiet kid who just started. He's he's in my first level class. And I knew we had an okay relationship, but he kind of sent me a couple messages through our learning management system. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm so glad that you actually have a chance to kind of like write out these thoughts and um, deliver them in, in a format that's easier for you, for sure. That's really good. I've had one who's... Uh... He's kind of quiet in school, but he's just been, you know, just in asking like, oh, what have you been up to? Things like that. Now he's sending me like uh, artwork he's making and stuff like that, like stuff he wouldn't be doing in class because we're so busy, you know, wrapped up in all the schoolwork and everything. So Hmm. that's really nice. Yeah. I think that in my experience, I think that this has kind of been a wake up call to how big a part of the community teachers are. I think that things that we've done, like delivering signs to our seniors' graduation, yard signs that say class of 2020, sort of the teacher uh, little parades that we've done through neighborhoods and our cars, um, things like that really have had a lot of positive influence. Um, and I think that it has been a reminder for, for how much teachers are a part of our society. So hopefully that will carry over into the future. Yeah, Wouldn't that the, be nice? One of the superintendents of our school said that the teachers are the first responders, that since sometimes we can see directly inside of uh, students' homes, we have the opportunity to you know, help them get the support that they need and uh, make sure that when they have trauma or any other kind of issues they're facing that we can make sure to contact people who could help, uh, even though I'm, I'm sure these authorities are not always the best resource, but uh, I'm sorry, finding ways to, to help kids and help parents and help families. Cause um, as the parent myself, it's in no way an easy job and I appreciate all the help I can get. Yeah. I think that's an underrated point is all the, uh, just the observational stuff you have to do to make sure that the kids are safe and healthy and all of that. And, like a lot of the, I mean, I'm sure it's the same with all of us, but a lot of the kids we have are with us more than with their parents. Like if they have parents that work afternoons or even if they work day shifts and don't get home till five or six, they might only be around their parents for three or four hours a day. And they're with us for six or seven, especially if you're in like a, you know, a younger classroom and it's self-contained and you're with these same kids all day. And, um, you know, my older kids, especially my eighth graders, I think like they've been saying like on our discussion boards and stuff like they miss school and they would have never ever admitted that before even if they kind of knew in the back of their mind that it was true so yeah Yeah, that's um what you just said brian that was something that of all people the vice principal at my school like the high school that i went to told us once i remember i think i was in like seventh grade and he kind of said you know part of the reason we take our job so seriously here is because you're with us from eight to three and you know we know what your parents do for a living some of them are not can't always be around uh a lot of you you know you've got uncles or aunts or grandparents who are helping out Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and 
it has been a real like I've noticed for some of my kids that this is the first time they've really been forced to shut down for a bit and to find their own ways of having fun and their own ways of, uh, you know, what am I going to do with my time? Because, I mean, I'm contractually required to mention on punching out every time we talk about my students that like, yeah, they play hours upon hours of Fortnite, but also, you know, <laughs> uh, for a lot of them, eventually they're t- even young as they are, their backs start to hurt and they have to go outside or play with a dog or do something. And I think it was very striking uh, for a lot of them to have to do that. I, I had my kids write letters to each other uh, in the first weeks. And then I sent them messages, you know, like, hey, I noticed this. I, I saw you were building a table or you're learning guitar. And almost all of them were very much like, yeah, this is something that I didn't really have time to do when we, when we were still in school. But now that I can actually devote time to it, it it's something I, I could finally do. And that was such a nice thing mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, see, during school we're all really busy and um for my students in particular often they're quote-unquote too busy uh to do their schoolwork but not all the other 16 things that they have to do um (laughs) with, with people who have more automatic respect than teachers do socially but now they've kind of found a way to at least develop themselves and even if that doesn't always result in them getting their schoolwork in on time it's pretty hard to complain um about that like i hope that when we come back next year if we come back face to face uh that they come back better people at least or more rounded people who are less stuck to you know uh their their devices for everything yeah getting back to normal but bringing those lessons back would be ideal it'd be nice for everybody not just the kids not just us yeah absolutely yeah um one thing that i am a little bit positive about you mentioned sort of at the beginning of this, Noah did, about the sort of plans of the Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gates and the Andrew Cuomos. But those plans are doomed to fail. Yeah. And yeah. there's there's a couple reasons for that. One is we're not getting public internet in this country anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. without public free internet, this online scheme just isn't going to work fully. And two, the parents are not going to like it. And that's the only thing that they care about. Um, School districts is that there's a total customer is always right mentality. But I think that's actually going to play in education's favor for once, or at least in the teacher's favor and students' favor, because I don't think their plans, their schemes for what for this sort of disaster capitalism in schooling is going to work just because I don't think it's going to be possible to do this massive online push for a sustained amount of time. Yeah, they won't be Beyond able to stop the length that. of the pandemic. Absolutely yeah. not. It's always when will, when are the kids going back to schools? Uh, yeah. Even even with my kids, the majority of whom have perfectly good Wi-Fi, except when they quote unquote don't, um, you know, even they, their parents are tired of this. I mean, some of my some of my kids have parents who are essential workers. Some of my kids have parents who, um, even if they're not, still had to work from home the whole day and couldn't be hanging over their shoulder. So, you know, in in a kind of like 
roundabout way when even the parents of ritzy ditzy private school students are having trouble with this online learning thing then i think you're absolutely right jake there's there's no workable way for it and i and i want to touch on something that you said that i think is key um because i think it is to the advantage of a lot of people the zuckerbergs and the central office people both to put teachers and students at odds with each other and say through how they treat us or whatever that, you know, what's good for the students is bad for teachers or vice versa. Certainly my bosses love to do that and then to blame us for that outlook. But I think this is showing that no, actually those two things go together. Those are two great tastes that go great together. If you make things better for students things are usually better for teachers. And if you make things better for teachers, things are usually better for their students as well. Yeah, those are the groups that are in the same room together all day. It's not yeah. everybody else. Those are the only yeah. two groups you need. I mean, you need teachers, you need students for a school. You don't need anybody else, right? Yeah. Maybe like custodians. Uh, yeah, that would be the other one, yeah. Cafeteria workers. <laughs> the, the the other real heroes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely the case. There's... um. I think it's it's. I come from a very different cultural background. Uh, I said this off air before we started recording, and one of the things that I've noticed and said a lot on this show is that America has a real problem with the idea that you have to be taught anything, yeah. uh, with the idea yeah. that somebody can be smarter than you, or the idea that somebody has to tell you something. You're supposed to rugged individualist, learn it all on your own, and blah blah blah. And I think like Jake said, um, like Brian said, like Arthur said, what we're seeing in this new reality that this this pandemic has enabled us to ex experience, unfortunately, is that it, teaching is so much more than that, that teaching is not some ivory tower thing where you're in, in some abstruse separation from the rest of the world. Like it's as real as it gets. You're you're talking to these kids, you're developing interpersonal relationships, you're trying to, to help them be better people uh, than they walked into your classroom being. And that's, uh, you know, ultimately, that that's how you create the the quote unquote future that all the politicians and the techies and the and the administrators say they want. And it can't be done without that kind of people in the classroom. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just not it's it's just not going to happen. But that doesn't. I mean, I I do think that the fall is going to be a little bit rough in that respect because we're not going to be. Um, I don't think we're going to be ready to have full on schooling again in the fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, in the fall, I'm not I'm not I don't want to be in a full schoolhouse during the mm -hmm. fall myself. Like right. I don't. And I do think that there's plans to completely reinvent education in a negative way. But like I said, I don't think those plans, I think they're going to, by next spring, I don't think those plans are going to, I think those plans are going to fizzle out. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that we're all crossing our fingers and, and hoping that that's the case. You've, you've yeah. laid out, you've all laid out the reasons why they can't work. And now it's just a matter of making sure that those things come to pass. I know that four teachers could go on this subject for like three more hours and <laughs> I would totally love to. Uh, you've all been amazing and thank you so much for, for being on here and for your patience with all of our technical difficulties. But we have unfortunately run out of time for the week. So 
for this week. I'm Noah. I'm Arthur. I'm Brian. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Noah. I'm Jake. Thank you, you for having me, Noah. And this was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.